Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Tom Rowland, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. If this is your first time, good one to start on. Today's guest is none other than America's favorite fisherman, Bill Dance. And Bill Dance is, he's an amazing guy. He means a lot to me because he's been a great mentor and friend over my career in television. And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. So we're going to get right to it as soon as I tell you a few things. Number one, I want to thank you for the feedback that you've been given us on the podcast. We've been getting it on social media and also on the email address that we set up for this podcast. And that is podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. I get all those emails. I read them. So if you have suggestions for the show, if you have things that we could do to improve it, if you have things you like, you don't like, let us know. But mostly, if you have some guests that you would like to hear interviewed, let me know about that because that is um, what we want to do. We want to bring the best best guests to you, and uh, this is your show. So let me know what you want, and we will do our best to to get it for you. Secondly, we've been working on a brand new website for saltwaterexperience.com, and this is really important because this year we're producing more content than we ever have before. We have this podcast, which is becoming very popular. We also have the weekly show on YouTube, and you can subscribe to that by going to the YouTube channel, and you'll get a notification every time we upload a new one. Then we also have our regular TV show, which we certainly have not stopped doing. That is our main focus and biggest biggest project. In fact, new shows are coming out this week. We have shows will debut on Waypoint TV, and then they're also on NBC Sports, Sportsman's Channel, and Sun Sports. So be watching out for those. In the best way for you to be aware of all the new content that we're producing, whether that's articles or videos 
podcasts, weekly shows, or our television show, the best way is to go to saltwaterexperience.com and join the newsletter. The newsletter is our way of communicating with the insiders, the people that that sign up for that, get all of the information first. And in a lot of situations, they they get opportunities that other people might not have a chance at, meeting, meeting us, coming to a, a certain event, or reading or viewing the content first. So check that out. And if you would, subscribe. Also, if you could, if you like this podcast and you have liked the ones that you've heard before, if you would please go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Apparently that is a huge factor in the podcast ending up on new and noteworthy on iTunes and being able to be viewed and seen by lots more people. So if you wouldn't mind, Take a few minutes, give us as many stars as you think we deserve, and also a good review. We have 85 of them up there right now, and I think if we could get another 85 up there, it would do a lot. So that would be great. I'd really appreciate it. So I think that's all the news. And today's episode is brought to you by Waypoint TV. Waypoint TV is a great place for you to stream your outdoor content anyway, anytime, anywhere you would like to. It's available on Roku, Apple TV, all the different devices. 60 producers are producing more than 2,000 different episodes and short films. It's all there for you for free on Waypoint. So go to waypointtv.com and check it out. Okay, so now we're on to today's guest. And today's guest certainly needs no introduction. He has done more for the sport of fishing than probably anyone else, alive or dead. And I could try to recap his his career, but I would fall way short because the guy has done so much that you could do a whole podcast on just all the stuff that he has done, much less try to try to recap it off the top of my head. So I do have it written down right here, and I'm going to read it. So here goes. And I, I'm not even going to tell you all of the things that he's done. I'm just going to pick out uh, some of the top ones, and hopefully I don't I, I do him credit here. So. Bill Dance. He has won 23 national bass titles. Bassmaster Classic Qualifier, eight out of nine years, finished second in 1973. Three-time BASS Angler of the Year. Of 78 total BASS entries, he finished 64 times in the money. Seven wins, eight runners-up, third, six third place, 40 top 10 finishes, and 51 top 20 finishes. In his first 11 tournaments, he was only out of the top seven once. He won seven of the first 17 events entered. He retired from competition in 1980, and you'll see why, because the guy's busy. He's credited with catching the first bass in BASS history. That's pretty cool. And he also is credited with popularizing the Carolina rig, which probably everybody listening to this has has uh, used in some way, shape, or form. Virtually everyone who has ever fished is aware of this guy's name or one of his products or one of his videos or his television show. And because of that, he was 1978 Congressional National Water Safety Award winner, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Commander's Achievement Award for Water Safety, inductee in the National Freshwater Hall of Fame, Professional Bass Fishing Hall of Fame, International Game Fish Hall of Fame, Fish Association Hall of Fame, IGFA Hall of Fame, National Water Safety Spokesman for the Coast Guard, Male Professional Athlete of the Year, Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, President's Award, 
National Association of Boating Law Administrators. And somewhere along the line, he found time to write seven books. He's also written countless thousands, probably, magazine articles, and he's been featured in a hundred times more that people have written about him. He has helped hundreds of thousands of people either enjoy fishing more, learn how to fish, or, you know, somehow just have have a good time associated with fishing. I watched his shows growing up with my dad, and I watched them with my kids also. He's been in the business for 50 years. In 1968, that was the year I was born. And I'm not quite 50 yet, but I will be in August. So in 1968, I was born and Bill Dance started his television career. Since then, he has produced more than 2,000 episodes. That is a number that blows me away. 2,000 episodes and counting. He's not done yet by a long shot. Guy has more energy than anybody I know. He also has a saltwater show, and his saltwater show is at least as popular as his freshwater show. Now, all of the accolades, accomplishments, everything I just read there, that's amazing. That makes for a great career. But what really impresses me most about Bill Dance is that he is just a very warm, welcoming, authentic, genuine person, genuine nice guy. He's one of the genuine nice guys in the world. He greets everybody he meets with a, a big smile and usually a hug, whether he knows you or not. And he has always been like that for me. He was incredibly welcoming right away. And I have used that. I've called him, asked him his advice. I've talked to him about all different kinds of things associated with fishing and the business and just difficulties and troubles and never one time has he ever not had enough time or you know, sometimes he's hard to get because he's very busy but he's always has time for his fans he always has time for his friends and that to me is uh is the mark of a great man so also everybody that works for him has worked for him for 25 or 30 years so there again there's a mark of a great leader somebody that uh, can keep great people around him for a long period of time. That's Bill. And what you see is what you get. He's not playing to the camera. He is just like you see on television. And that person that you see on television has entertained hundreds of thousands of people and will continue to. And it's my great pleasure to be able to travel to Collierville, Tennessee and sit in the iconic unbelievably cool studio that he has and sit down with a man America's favorite fisherman Bill Dance. So stay tuned and we'll get right to this interview Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I am sitting down here with Bill Dance, 
the legend Ooh. of all time. And uh, just want to say it's a real honor to to sit down. I want to appreciate. I want to thank you for uh, spending a little time with me. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. Well, thank you. So I'm going to read something right now, and I want to get your reaction to it. All right, two thousand episodes, thirty six videos, twelve educational tapes, four blooper videos, seven books, IGFA Hall of Fame, thousands of newspaper articles. 23 national bass titles, eight-time qualifier for the Bassmaster Classic out of nine times, three times Bass Angler of the Year. You won seven of the first 17 events you ever entered, and you're also credited for catching the first bass in BASS history. I did all that. (laughs) I don't know, did you? It says it on your website. It says it on your website, and so what I'm wondering I was is, lucky, wasn't I? Yeah, I get, well, I don't know. I don't think you can be quite that lucky. If somebody had told you that you were going to do all that, Woo. would you have believed them? No. You know, I just, I came along at the right time, and I was blessed that I had a daddy and a granddaddy that uh, taught me a lot about this great sport. And, uh, you know, I credit my granddaddy. My daddy, my daddy was uh, more of a, he was a doctor, my granddaddy doctor, they my father was uh, more of a hunter. He shot a lot of skeet and trap, and he fished a lot, but nothing like he did. He hunted more than he fished, but my grandfather was more of a fisherman. And uh, I learned a lot about fishing from my grand- grandfather, but I learned a lot about anatomy. He taught me about the importance of sight. He taught me a lot about the importance of hearing and the anatomy of a fish, which helped me a lot through my career. Now, where was this? Did you grow up in Memphis? Well, I spent, uh, I was born in Memphis Mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time in Memphis, but I spent a lot of time in middle Tennessee in Moore County, Lynchburg. Okay. Uh, that's the home of Jack Daniels, a dry County, but I spent a lot of time in Lynchburg on Mulberry Creek. I love moving water Mm -hmm. and I still do today. I love to fish moving water. Yeah. And, uh, I grew up fishing that type of fishing. Of course, I fished ponds and things as I, whenever I could, but living in Memphis, I was kind of limited until I got a little bit older Yeah, where I could get a car or I rode the city bus with worms in my pocket. Real worms? Yeah, yeah, real worms. (laughs) Yeah, Um, before plastic worms. Yeah, I'd wrap them up in a bag or something in a can and I'd ride the city bus to uh, local city parks that had a lake Mm. and but I always loved to go to, to Lynchburg. And then I, the creek, my grandmother could walk out on her front porch and holler, Billy. She's calling me Billy <laughs> when I was little. And, uh, or she'd take a pan and beat it with a spoon. And yeah. I could hear it because it, it was in distance, hearing distance of the front porch. And, yeah. uh, and I'd run back to the house. That's how close the creek was. Yeah. So I'd fish up and down the creek. But what kind of fish would you catch in that little creek? It, well, we had, uh, when the creek got muddy, I'd fish for catfish. It was some kind of a theory. You know, when the creek got muddy, that's the time to catch catfish. But we called them black perch. But they ran big back then. It was a rock bass, red-eyed. Right. And we had smallmouth. Mm-hmm. And we had largemouth. Mm-hmm. And we had hog-nosed sucker. We had uh, beautiful sunfish. Just just big, beautiful sunfish. Yeah. So we had a, a mix of fish in the creek, but the smallmouth and the largemouth and the uh, that red eye, black perch. what we called a red eye when right. I grew up, that was one of my favorite fish to fish for. And we, I fished with my dad. We fished a lot in the ponds and, and lakes, but 
we also fished in the moving water, and that's what I preferred. Oh, and, I love and that water. I think that that really um, kind of helped me to get to my trout fishing background was because I had a background of fishing in these muddy muddy creeks for those rock bass and stuff like that. But later, then I'm fishing in the clear water, and and that's man, it was close to my heart. I really love that. So you wouldn't have believed it if somebody had told you that you would have you would have had a career in fishing when you were a kid. Well, you know, I always wanted it. That's a career I always wanted. Yeah. I, I, I somehow I, I wanted to uh, get into that industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I talked to. Well, wait, wait a minute. Was there even an industry at this time? Well, yeah, there was an industry. You know, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking about what year? Well, now when I was young like that, no, I didn't even know about an industry. But but as I got older. There was an industry, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody, fishing somebody television sold, shows. Somebody sold fishing lures, okay, and somebody made fishing lures, mm-hmm. and somebody made rods, and somebody made reels, right? And uh, I, I dreamed of that. I'd like to kind of do that, and you know, it would come and go, mm-hmm. and I'd see these lures and magazines. It was a field and stream. There was a sports field, mm-hmm. and there was a guy by the name of Jason Lucas, mm. and I'd read his articles. I'd think about. Boy, how, how did they make those lures? I said, boy, that'd be a neat thing to do. And then as time passed, you know, and I got older and older, and then I, I started to think, boy, I'd like to do that someday. And I may be jumping the jumping the gun here, but as time passed, I was fortunate enough to play on all four corners. Not only did I get the opportunity to be a manufacturer, mm. to work for a manufacturer, to sell for a manufacturer, to promote for a manufacturer, Hmm. I got to do all of those things. And Within a span I, I of how a, long? I turned a hobby into a profession. Pardon? When you, all four of those corners, within a span of how many years did you? Oh, it was, well, it's when uh, we're jumping now mm-hmm. uh, th- through uh, many years. But I got an opportunity to, uh, th- as a result of the fishing tournaments, of doing exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. The first three tournaments, I placed second. I was a bridesmaid, boom, 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 in the mm-hmm. first three tournaments. And the next year, boom, 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 I won the next three. Okay. And then the following two weeks after I won the next three, I had three major lure companies contact me. I had Jim Bagley, mm-hmm. who made the balsa baits in Winter Haven, Florida, call me. I had Nick Cream, the inventor of the plastic worms, contact me. And I had Head and Lure Company in Dewalgic, Michigan, the old one of the oldest lure companies mm-hmm. called me, which I just was absolutely eaten up. They made the Lucky Thirteen mm. and all the great baits, old timey baits. Yeah. And I thought, golly, Head and Lure Company calling me. The, Nick Cream, the inventor of the plastic worm, calling me. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Bagley, you know, the inventor of the balsa baits, and I couldn't believe it. And they all wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kind of impressed me. Ken White, the national sales manager for Cream Lure Company, calling me and saying, Mr. Cream and Miss Cream, Nick and Cosma Cream, would like for you and your wife to fly to Tyler, Texas, all expenses paid, spend the weekend with them. And that kind of impressed me. Yeah. And 50% of the fish I was catching at that time were on plastic worms. Right. And so Diane and I packed up, went to the Memphis airport, and flew to Shreveport. Mm Mm-hmm. And Ken White picked us up, and we drove, or he drove us down to Tyler. And we stayed with uh, Nick and Cosma, and Diane fell in love with Cosma. She was just the sweetest little lady. Yeah. And we stayed at their home, and Nick said, Bill, 
here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to furnish you a vehicle. I'd like to double your salary. Hmm. And I'm saying, who is he talking to? <laughs> and he was a wonderful, sweet man. I would like for you to fish, to hire you to fish with national distributors and show them how to fish our products uh-huh. and do national promotions. And I said, thank you. <laughs> I said, my dream, that's Done my deal. dream. I'd right. love to do that. And I went to work for Nick. It was just a dream come true. Just paint the picture of this, of, of what year is this? This was in the late 60s. Okay, so late 60s. Or, it are there, like, late 69, 70, right in there. Are there, first of all, is BASS, does it exist yet? Oh, yeah, because okay. I had those one. Are, those I, are the I, tournaments. I had three seconds and then three first. Okay, but in the BASS tournaments. Right. Okay, so are there other people that are making a, a living doing no. fishing at all no, or, no. Or, or does it a sponsorship like this had you ever heard of anyone doing something like this well at that time i had co- contacted strand uh the fishing line people yeah and uh a guy by the name of mccarran and uh i said i'd like to be a field tester and he said, what's a field tester? <laughs> you knew that from Lynchburg. Yeah. That used to be the cap they had, field, the whiskey field yeah, tester. Yeah, the field tester. <laughs> and I said, I want to be a, a field promotional tester. And I could get free fishing line. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, well, I don't know what that is, but if that's what you want to be, consider yourself a, be our first field tester. Okay. So I became a field tester. And he said, I've never heard of a field tester. I don't know what they are, but uh, if that's what you want to be, a field tester, you're our field tester. And I said, okay. So I, that kind of kick-started that. And then, you know, starting to work for Nick, because there wasn't any competition there, because Nick didn't make fishing line. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a couple of years, traveling, all expenses paid, could go fishing wherever I wanted to. I could take buyers. The big discount chains weren't really that big. They were growing at that time. Right. The only place you could really buy tackle back in those early days was hardware stores. <laughs> yeah. But but the discount chains were starting to jump up. Globe, uh, Woolco. Uh, you probably don't remember. Woolworths. I remember Woolworths yeah, yeah, used well, to sell tackle. And then Woolco came behind that. And then uh, Oshman, the mm-hmm. big Oshman yeah, yeah. chains down through yeah. Texas. Well, I was taking the buyers fishing and showing them how to fish. And Nick came with a... Uh, a slip sinker pack consisted of a little, a half a dozen slip sinkers, mm-hmm. six or eight hooks. Right. And we used a sprout hook then. And we talked about why that sprout hook was so important. It had a wide gap, the importance of that. And we put six shimmy gal worms in there. That was the worm. Mm-hmm. It was a seven-inch worm. And we sold so many of those doggone worms, that the shimmy gal pack. Then we came with. The shimmy gal six inch. We had the shimmy gal seven and a quarter inch. Then we came with the big 10 inch. Yeah. The monster pack. And we went everywhere. We'd have promotions and we'd sell that worm. But anyway. So you're selling all of these worms through just personal appearances and. At, at these stores, at the yeah. Oshman chain, at the Woolco chains, at the wherever. So this is still going hand in hand with working with cream. Yeah, I was working with cream. Right. And I, I'd go to Toledo Bend. Mm-hmm. And I would invite these buyers in and writers in mm-hmm. from Shreveport, uh, from Tyler, Texas, from the Houston 
big name riders and they would come in and I'd fish them for a couple of days and show them how to rig the bait and how to fish the bait. And I'd go down and uh, check in and I'd stay down there for a week or two. And I'd have the these noted riders come in. Right. Uh, like I said, be a rider from uh, Reeves from the Shreveport Times. Uh, I can't even remember all the riders. And there'd be a big rider from Houston Post would come in. And it'd be a writer from the Dallas Times, would uh, Dallas uh, Morning News would come in, and I'd have them all programmed. Hmm. You know, I'd have him Monday, and I'd have him Tuesday, and I'd have him Wednesday, and I'd have him Thursday. And they'd meet me, or I'd meet them at a certain location, the trading post in Hemp Hill, Texas. Uh-huh. And we'd fish Toledo Bend. And then maybe it'd be, I'd be on Smith Lake. Yeah. Meet me at Jasper at the Holiday Inn. And then they'd be in... Ross Barnett, I'd meet him at the Holiday Inn in Jackson, Mississippi. I'd fish with a lot of writers yeah. and talking about the bait and how to fish the bait. And it, This was kind of a dream come true. I was fishing a lot, and I was fishing with the people, and I was showing them and educating them on right. how to fish the slip sinker worm and, and how to worm fish. And Pretty much no one else was doing anything like this. No, no like one this. was doing it back in those days. Right. And uh, then I continued to fish the tournaments, and... Thank the good Lord I was doing well in the tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I was getting a lot of publicity from these writers that I was entertaining. And Cream was getting a lot of publicity. And I did that, Tom, for a couple of years. And then one day I got the idea. I said, you know, if I can do this for Tom, I mean, for, for Nick, I ought to be able to do it for myself. So I went and sat down with Nick. And I said, Nick. And he kind of laughed, and he said, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I knew this day would come. <laughs> and he said, I said, you know, I want to try this. I want to do this on my own. And he said, you see that door right there? And I went, oh, goodness. And he said, <laughs> he said that door swings both ways. He said, you go try it, and if it doesn't work out, you come back. Uh huh. And he got up, and he hugged my neck. And I took off, and a good buddy of mine, Charles Spence, mm -hmm. that's when Charles and I started basically Strike King Lure Company in that that span of time. And uh, that writers were still contacting me and wanting me to go fishing, and we were trying to start up the lure company, and, and Charles was always wanting to go on these writer trips, and the writers would say, well, Charles, we don't need you to go on the trip. We need, I need Bill. And I could see Charles' feelings <laughs> was hurting Charles's feelings, yeah. and, and I felt horrible about it. And I was leaving Charles there to do all the work, and here I'm out fishing, and here I'm going to the tournaments, and I could see this wasn't going to work. And finally, I just said, look, Charles, you take the company and you run with it. And I was just going to continue fishing in tournaments, and I was going to do something else because it just it wasn't working out. And it, I could see some animosity there, and and I didn't want to destroy a friendship between right. Charlie and I. And I so I had a conversation with Cotton Cordell over in Little Rock, and Cotton said, "Well, I tell you what, your fishing's really cut in half now that you're in the lure business." And I said, "No, I'm not in the lure business." He said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm just fishing with some writers and looking around." Mm -hmm. and he said. Won't you look around over here in Hot Springs Monday morning? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, I want to talk to you. So I drove to Hot Springs that next Monday, and Cotton said, i tell you what I want to do. I want to give you a vehicle. <laughs> I want to double your salary. <laughs> kind of like what Nick said. Yeah. And I didn't kind of want to go back to Nick because 
there were some personal reasons. Uh, and uh, Nick was kind of thinking about dating and his mm-hmm. children were kind of moving up. And so I, I didn't go back to Nick. And I went to work for Cotton. Mm-hmm. And Cotton had offered me double the salary in a vehicle. And I kind of started doing the same thing for Cotton. And Cotton came to me and he said, look, after about a year, he said, doing the same thing. He said, we need a television show. Hmm. And I said, okay, I think that's good. I've got the perfect guy to do it. So this is 1968? And, and now this was around that same time, 70, around okay. 70. He said, you got the perfect guy for us to do it? And I said, I sure do. And this guy, we were rooming together, fishing the tournaments together. And he was, I wouldn't be doing TV today if it wasn't for this guy. Huh. And he said, who's that? And I said, Jerry McKinnis. No kidding. And he said, McKinnis. And I said, yeah, Jerry and I have been traveling together. I've been helping Jerry shoot stuff. And Jerry's taught me a lot about television. And, and Jerry is your man. And he says, well, I've got a different idea. <laughs> and I said, Why? what's that, Cotton? And I love Cotton. Cotton Cordell made the hot spot and the red fin and a lot of great baits. And I loved him like a daddy. He said, no, I've got a better guy. And I said, okay, who's that? And he said, you. Huh. And I said, me? <laughs> I said, I, me on TV is like pouring perfume on a pig. I, I tell you what, I, I can't even spell television. I said, I can't, man, you've got to be crazy. He said, no, I want you to do it. And I said, Cotton, I, I can't do a TV show. I don't know anything. He said, yep, Jerry's taught you a lot about it. And so I told Jerry, I said, Cotton wants me to do a TV show, Jerry. He says, do it. You can do it. Now, did Jerry already have his show going at all? Yeah, Jerry had a show going, too. And I said, you think I can do it? And Jerry said, yeah, you sure you can do it. So Cotton bought me a camera, just like the one I'd been shooting a little bit with a Scoopic, Canon Scoopic. It's very simple. So I went to a local TV station, and I knew the editor, and he showed me how to edit. And, linear uh, editing back then, uh, like linear editing, yeah. like you're cutting and yeah, it was cutting and pasting and, and all. Yeah. And he showed me basically how to do it. So I went to our CBS affiliate and I went to the program director and I said, I'd like to do a local fishing show for your network, your, 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 st- your local station. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, I just don't think, uh, I said, I said, well, you did get about Gaddis sponsored by Liberty Mutual. And he said, yeah, but we just don't think there's a market for a local show. And I went, and I got really discouraged. Then I went to Al Michaels at the NBC affiliate. And I walked in, big old tall guy, and I walked in his office, and a little big burl walnut desk sitting there, and got up. Can I help you? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Brooks Brothers suit, uh-huh. about a $400 tie and I, I said, um, I had a pair of blue jeans. I didn't look too appealing, but I said, uh, Mr. Grady, I'd like to talk to you about the possibility of doing a local fishing show. A what? And I said, a local fishing show. Uh, what is that? And I said, <laughs> and I told him my format and how I wanted to do it. And he said, no, uh-uh, I don't think that's something. But no, we're not interested in anything like that. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let me tell you what. I think it created a lot of local appeal. And, uh, so I went home and I was really discouraged. Yeah. And I said, this, this ain't going to work. This, I, I can't do this. And Diane said, what did I tell you about can't? And I said, what? She said, what did I tell you about the word can't? She said, I've told you that word, get it out of your vocabulary. 
And she's always said, and I said, well, three doesn't want it, five doesn't want it. And she said, isn't ABC sports-minded? I said, yeah, I think. She said, they're always talking about sports entertainment on ABC. Why don't you go to ABC? I said, they probably don't want what did I say? <laughs> I said, <laughs> she's got like five feet tall. But she's, I mean, dynamite uh-huh. comes in small packages. Yes, she heard that expression. I said, I'll go see him in the morning. She said, what about this afternoon? I will. I'll, let me go in the morning. So I went over there and I got over there about 11. I remember it was a little bit after 11. And the switchboard operator, never forget her. Her name was Elizabeth. And I saw it on her little name. I walked up and I said, Elizabeth? She said, yes, that's me. <laughs> I said, who is your program director? She said, Lance Russell. And I said, is he in? She said, no, he went to lunch, but he'll be back by two if you'd like to come back. And I said, no, ma'am, I'll just wait. And she said, well, it's just a little bit after 11. That's, that'll be a pretty good wait. I said, that's fine. I'll wait. But I want to be here when he comes back. She says, well, okay. So I just went over there and sat down. Uh-huh. And a little bit later, she said, would you like something to drink? And uh, I said, no, ma'am, I'm fine. So she said, well, I'm going to get me a Coca-Cola. If you want one, I'll get you one. And I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, I'm getting you one. So <laughs> she and I became good buddies. So she went and got one, got me one. And she said, what do you do? And I said, well, I told her. And then she told me she liked to fish. And we struck up a conversation. About 10 minutes of one, she walked over and she said, guess what? Mr. Russell came up the back fire escape, back steps. And he's here. And, uh. He's ready to see you. I said, well, great. And she said, uh, just go right on up the steps. Now, I'll never forget that green carpet. And I bounced up those steps, and I went down the hall, and there was a lady standing there, and she said, there's his office. <laughs> and I walked in, and he stood up, and his hands, he had his hands like that. He walked around the end of his desk, and he stuck his hand out, and he said, Bill Dance. <laughs> and I said, Mr. Russell. He said, call me Lance. Have a seat, Bill. And he said, better that. And he took his chair and he pulled his chair up, pulled my chair up close to his desk. He said, sit down. What can I help you with? And I said, I want to do a local fishing show. And I want to do it here on Channel 13. And he said, you may not remember this. You know WBBJ? And I said, in Jackson, Tennessee, Channel 7. He said, that's right. I said, I've done a few shows there with Tony Laws. He said, yeah, Tony Laws did a local show there. He said, well, I used to do a local show there. And I said, you did? And he said, yeah, I was program director, therefore I came here. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, tell me what you've got in mind. And I said, I'd like to do a local show. And I explained how I wanted to do it, how I had it formatted. And he says, okay. He said, I like the idea. When would you like to air it? And I said, Friday nights. Thursday night or Friday night for the weekend. Yep. He said, well, let me tell you what we need. We need two things. We need a pilot. I said, I don't even have a plane. <laughs> he said, we said, he said, you got a lot to learn. Yeah. Said, and then he started laughing. He said, a pilot, we need a show. And I said, okay. And I said, I can get that. And he said, well, we need a sponsor. And here it is uh, just a little bit after one o'clock. Uh-huh. And I said, okay to sponsor the event i said all righty i said i can get the show and let me see about the sponsor he said you work on that and i'll see what i can do Mm -hmm. and i said thank you and he said let's talk later in the week and i said fine 
And he said, if you come up with something, you let me know immediately. And I will. And I shook his hand. I went out the door, got in my truck, and I went straight down a 2526 Elvis Presley Boulevard. And I walked in a building called Fabulous Surplus City. And I walked up to a guy named Billy Woods. I said, Billy, I got a chance to put a local fishing show on Channel 13 to air Thursday night or Friday night. And I'm telling you, I can sell you lots and lots of fishing tackle. I promise you. And mm-hmm. he said, I know you can. And I said, would you be interested? Would you entertain the thought of sponsoring that? He said, absolutely. I said, what are you doing in the next hour? He said, nothing. I said, will you ride with me out to Channel 13 and talk to Lance Russell? He said, I sure will. I said, come on. He got in my truck. And we drove out there, and I walked up to Elizabeth, and I said, is Mr. Russell still here? She said, he is. I said, would you ask him, can he see me? She said, yes. He said, come on up. I went up, walked in, and I said, Lance, this is Billy Woods. He's a manager of Surplus City. He said, I go in there all the time. I said, he's interested in sponsoring the show. He said, boy, you work fast. (laughs) He said, let's talk. And we did a pilot. We did a, a rough that night. Where did you get the camera people and well, anybody that knew I had, anything? I had, I had a camera. Yeah. Cotton gave me the camera. And he said, now we need a pilot. I, call, I was so stupid. Of all people, I called Ralph Giso. He was a guide out of Pendleton Harbor Marina on yeah. Toledo Bend. You know, we had a lot of weather and everything. I, I knew I could get a show at Toledo Bend. Uh-huh. Now, why I didn't shoot a local show, I don't know. But Lance didn't care. I called Ralph, and I hooked it to Toledo Bend. And uh, I'll never forget it. I said, Ralph, will you help me get a show? He said, absolutely. We got, and I got the girl, the cook. That's where I met Terry Bradshaw. Well, I'll tell you the story in a minute. But anyway, I gave the cook the camera, and I said, it, all you do is just hold the camera. And you know those scoopy cameras are just neat. Yeah. A baby could shoot one of them. She held the camera, and I said, Get us pulling away from the dock. She said, okay. So Ralph and I walked out and got in the boat, and we just pulled out. And then we turned around, went back, got the camera. We got out there on the lake, and one of his guides followed us out. And I said, you hold the camera and get some wide shots of us. So here's the guide. <laughs> he held the camera and he's like, he shot some wide shots of us. And I said, get a couple of shots of us catching fish. Ralph knew where every fish in the lake was. And we threw out there and caught a couple of fish. And I said, you get those? He said, I got them. He gave us a camera. Ralph would shoot me catching fish, and I'd shoot Ralph catching fish. And I'll never forget in that show, we were on some big fish, good fish. I get this fish about five pounds up side of the boat, and I'm fighting him. And I said, Ralph. He said, let me net him. And so I'm fighting him, and Ralph grabs a net, and he went, Whoop, I got him. And he He's got this fish about six pounds in the net. And he said, well, that's a good one. The guide is videoing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I said, get him now. I'm going to bring him around the boat. And he's got this fish up six pounds. And I said, what? I said, get my fish. And he went, that's the wrong fish. <laughs> he turned and netted. And he's got a six and my five in the net. And the, and the guide went. I got it. I got it. <laughs> of course, we weren't shooting audio then, you know. And then I came back, and old Shelton, as a guy, taught me how to cut and edit. And that's what I'd do. I'd go shoot a show, and then I'd bring it back, and I'd edit it. 
and then I'd I'd sketch out my show, my format, mm-hmm. and then I'd come in the studio, and uh, it was so corny. I we had a a backdrop like this with two big recliners, uh-huh. and I'd say, "Well, here we are at the lake, <laughs> and now we're getting in the boat. Here we go up the lake." <laughs> but that's we, how it was done. I, I mean, that's, that's how Jerry exactly. McInnes' show yeah. was done too. I mean, oh, yeah. that you had no other. Uh, it's so corny, you know. And, and, and I'd have a guest, and maybe if you and I did a show together, and I could say, "Here's time making the first cast," and you'd say, "Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm getting a bite, Bill." And I said, "Yep, I'm, there's Tom setting the hook." <laughs> oh, isn't that fun? Ha ha ha. And <laughs> you'd go, yes, ho, ho, ho. We'd, we'd just ad lib it. For 30 minutes. For 30 minutes. And so did this, was this effective at selling product through your sponsor? Oh, yeah. And then I'd come back and I said, uh, we'd have the baits or whatever it was. And I said, now this is a particular bait that we were using, the old Double Trouble Jim bug. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, and it's a very effective bait that Cordell has come out with. And, uh, um, this, this bait works exceptionally well. It's not just a seasonal bait. It's a 12-month-a-year lure. I mean, you can fish this bait in muddy water, clear water. Uh, you can throw it up in a tree in a basil climb a tree to hit this bait. I mean, it's a fantastic <laughs> bait, folks. You just got to, you know. But uh, And then, you know, and they're available right now at Fabulous Surplus City. In fact, they're on sale this week. You buy one, they'll give you one. <laughs> wow. Just go down there and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible. So, all of this happened spur of the moment, but with a lot of hard work. I mean, you obviously put it on the line. So all of this opportunity seems to me like you were just kind of living your life, doing something that you like to do. And then here comes these opportunities over and over. Did this interrupt something that you were, I mean, that you were trying to do in your well, life? You know, the, I continued to fish the tournaments, but what, how this thing, it, it, it blossomed. It got... The sister station in Jackson, Mississippi, saw this show, and they contacted me and said, the ABC affiliate in Jackson said, hey, we saw your show in Memphis. Would you be willing to do one for us? And I said, yeah. Well, it was good because the state capitol was there. Mm -hmm. The governor was a fisherman. Mm. Billy Joe Cross, who I knew, was uh, the director of the Game and Fish Commissioner, director. I'd fished Barnett. I'd won a tournament on Barnett, and I knew a lot of places. I knew a lot of fishermen there. So I said, sure. So I started doing a local show in Jackson, and I had people there I could call from the the state office, and the governor would come. He'd be a guest on the show. Oh, wow. And then I had the uh, boating safety director. I had the game and fish director, and I had local fishermen I could. And then I could fish over at Show One, Lake Washington, Lake Lee, Ross Barnett, and do shows. Well, then WBRZ Channel 2 in Baton Rouge said, hey, their sister station said, will you do one for us? And I said, yeah. <laughs> well, then I had the capital of Louisiana, Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. I had the same deal there, all the state officials. So I started doing one in Baton Rouge. Then J.C. Penny used to be in the sporting good business, Paducah, Kentucky, up near Kentucky Lake, I got a call from them. And said, "Well, would you do one for us?" So I was doing. I said, "Yeah." So I ended up. Memphis was bread and butter. Uh-huh. I had to do it every week. So I would go to Jackson and tape four shows, line up all my guests, then run down to Baton Rouge and tape four shows. 
and I'd use the footage, some of Memphis footage, some of Jackson, mm-hmm. Mississippi, Baton Rouge footage. Then I'd run up to Paducah and tape four shows. <laughs> and I'd mix the vi- the video, I mean, the, the the footage up on all markets, you know, on Rotate. Right. So I'm doing four markets, 52 weeks a year. I was in. I was doing two hundred and eight shows a year. Wow! Now, who's editing all this? Are you Me. doing? You're doing all the editing. I, I was. I was writing, scripting, shooting, editing all, all all my shows, and lining up all my guests. And I was doing two hundred and eight shows a year. Well, wow. I said, "Sonny Jim," I said, <laughs> "Make a freight train take a dirt road." I said, "Boy," and I and I'm fishing in the tournaments too. And so after. We syndicated. Advancers in St. Louis said, Bill, you need to syndicate this. So we syndicated. I gave Bobby Matters my show in Baton Rouge. And then I, 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 stopped, I stopped Kentucky. I mean, uh, Paducah, and I stopped Jackson. Yeah. And Memphis, I kept Memphis for a little bit. And I said, I was going around in circles trying, yeah. to, trying to do promotions. You know how that is for mm-hmm. sponsors because mm-hmm. you do that. And uh, trying to do what I could and fishing tournaments and stuff. And I, I finally had to give up tournaments for a year. I just couldn't do it all. Yeah. And uh, finally I said, I'm going to do this syndication. So we syndicated 90 network markets. Wow. The cost of syndication skyrocketed. Cable was starting to come into play. And we went with ESPN. And we rocked along with ESPN for about two or three years. And we hit. The markets, we hit New York, Toronto, Montreal, B- Buffalo, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Boise, uh, Spokane, mm-hmm. uh, San Francisco, Denver, M- Dallas, Miami, uh, New Orleans, Atlanta. We, I mean, we hit we hit the, all the yeah. way across the country. Total saturation. Yeah, total saturation. But we didn't hit the demographics that we really needed to hit. Hmm. And uh, after about a little over two years, we just didn't hit that loyal brand buying market that we really needed to hit. And there was a little network that popped up over in Nashville, Tennessee called TNN, the Nashville Network. And we looked at that and I went, boom, we better look at that. And we looked at TNN. Well, TNN had bull riding. Mm -hmm. They had country western. They had the demographics were just perfect. Right. We picked up Walmart. We picked up Chevrolet. We picked up. I mean, we hit a we hit a niche that was just perfect, and uh, we moved we moved there, and our numbers just went through the roof, and uh, it was just a perfect niche. The demographics couldn't have been better. Right. I happen to know a little bit about that because my first television experience ever was on Shaw Grigsby Show. He was on TNN at right. that same time. He sure was. And it was, if I'm not mistaken, was it a Monday night or a Thursday night? Well, I think it was a Thursday night when it when it started. There was one night when it was just yeah, the record that, that, that was the night that we promoted. And then it moved to Saturdays, I think. Yeah. This was an, a weird night. I want to say it was a Monday, but maybe it was a Thursday. So Shaw came down. He was going to do a show with... Someone else, Marshall Maybe Cutchin. it was Monday. I, I can't remember. Could, I think it might have been because I, I was surprised that there were so many people watching. And it was about a half million people, as I remember. There were The the numbers were through the roof. Anyway, Shaw uh, or Marshall Cutchin didn't want to do the show, so he told him to call me. And I said, sure, I'll do it. 
<laughs> I don't know anything yeah, about it. I don't know you. anything about it, but I, I guess. And so Shaw, I took Shaw and we caught barracudas, big barracudas. I had a great show. And I didn't know anything about, I mean, there was no social media. There wasn't anything. Shaw says it's coming on sometime soon. And one day the phone exploded. It just wouldn't stop ringing. And I didn't know what happened because I didn't see the show live. I didn't know anything about it. And the phone just started ringing and ringing and ringing, and it rang for months. And this is back when we had an answering machine with tape, and that tape would be full, and I'd put in another one. And it just was insane, the number of people that were watching that. And like you say, the demographic was absolutely oh, it was, perfect. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And the, the response to that one show led me to believe, wow. There's something to television because I've never seen anything like this. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was it was crazy. Well, we 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 stayed with that for almost 15 years, mm -hmm. and then Vicon came in and bought the Gaylord uh, that that Enterprise in mm -hmm. there, and they moved him to New York. Then we went with OLN, the Outdoor Life Network, and then Spike, I think, came in there, and then. NBC Sports, and we went with NBC Sports, and then with the Discovery, uh, that deal with, and then came along the Outdoor Channel, then the Sportsman Channel, and so we were running four networks, NBC Sports, Discovery, Outdoor Channel, mm -hmm. and Sportsman Channel, and then when we looked at the numbers and compared the numbers, so where we are now, we're back with... Uh, we're, we're, we're with the Outdoor Channel and the Sportsman Channel. Well, that's only on, on television. We're going to talk about the social media here in a little bit and how, how that's all changed. But that's very interesting. I had no idea that you worked so hard to get this whole thing going. I mean, you're producing four shows at a time. That's, that's incredible. I want to talk to you about that. But believe it or not, with an hour and a half, we're going to run out of time. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. One, I want to know... One of the things that, that I have always liked about you the most was that you are humble enough to put your blooper video out because a lot of people wouldn't, right? Like a lot of people don't think it's funny to watch themselves fall down a hill or get chased by a goose or hit their, <laughs> hit their shin on the, on the trailer hitch. But I want to know what it was like for you to think about putting that out. What did that look like? Well, it's just part of the things that happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, uh, that thing came about Tony Mack, our producer. We had, I'll tell you how it came about. I think Tony came up with an idea to insert an outtake. <laughs> so he stuck it in a show and the response was real good. Yeah. Social media wasn't going at that time. And, uh, he just stuck it in a show and the response was, was real good. We got a lot of comments on it. So a few weeks passed, and he said, why don't we just dig through the archives and do a show and title it Outtakes or something? And I said, he said, you have a problem with that? And I said, no, nah, I don't have a problem with it. And I, I really didn't because it, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, just outtakes and things, stupid things that happen. And, and it was unbelievable when you have two camera shoots, and he, and he told the camera crew, he said, from now on, when things happen, don't cut the camera off. Just let it roll. And uh, it was unbelievable how much stuff uh, over all the years that they started digging back through all our 
footage yeah. and, and stuff that they found and, and could come up with. So he compiled uh, Super Bloopers and Practical Jokes or something. <laughs> that was a title that Ed McMahon and Dick Clark. And we got a call from them. And Tony talked to them, their agency, and they said, we'd like to run a couple of those bloopers. Uh -huh. And they were doing a deal on Saturday night, and that was the title of that show. Uh, Dick Clark Productions had super bloopers and practical jokes. So Tony sent them. And then, short time after that, the BBC in London, we got a <laughs> note from them, and they wanted a couple of them. And so Tony, so Tony said, well, you know, this thing. And then we got a note from CBS, and they picked up. They, they started a blooper show. And then Rogan's Heroes in California started a blooper show, and they wanted. So Tony says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll just put together a contract, and we'll sell these things. Well, we had a contract with NBC that they wanted eight a year. Yeah. And then CBS wanted X amount a year. And then the BBC in London uh, wanted so many a year. So we just sent them a contract, and we had a little <laughs> profitable thing going right there yeah. that we could still run what we wanted to. And then Tony said, what we ought to do is just make a blooper tape. So we came out with volume one uh -huh. and it just went, boom, it went off the charts. And, and you, then, would, you would advertise that on your own show. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think uh, Bass Pro put it in and they just sold a living starch out of them. And then we still had a pile of stuff. Somebody said, when are you going to come out with blooper two? We said, well, we'll just do it right now. So we had <laughs> enough stuff. And then we had bloopers with entertainers like, Mel Tillis yeah. and, and Porter Wagner and Terry Bradshaw and uh, a bunch of entertainers that we had fished with over the years. And uh, so we just stuck some of the wild stuff that they had done in there. And uh, so we came with Blooper 2. And then people started saying, well, when are you going to come out with Blooper 3? So we said, all right, we'll just do that too. <laughs> so we just, we'd look back and we had enough for Blooper 3. And they, even today, it's 15 years. They're still running pieces out of blooper one. That big swan. Yeah. We went over there to do a piece. It was at Charles's. His wife wanted a big, big swan. And we're standing over there on the, his pond behind Charles's house, demonstrating something. And we looked up and somebody said, watch out. And I looked up and you could see the dust. <laughs> And this big old swan is coming down the lake bank like a runaway dump truck. And I said, what's he doing? And he said, you better get out of the way. He's going to knock you over. And I mean, that big, big swan, I mean, it's big as a Volkswagen. I mean, it's coming, blah, 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 coming down through there. And I mean, it's coming right at me. And boys, I jumped out of the way and it went by. And when it made a U-turn, it banked like a jet airplane. As it banked, it saw itself in the bumper on the truck. It peeled off and started beating the fire out of that bumper. <laughs> and I said, that goose, I mean, that, that stupid thing's crazy. And it was going boom, 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 just beating, flogging that bumper on that truck. And I, I walked over and I said, what? And about that time it saw me in that bumper and boom, it made a U-turn and boom, it took off after <laughs> me. And I took off running. Well, I didn't have any place to run except I didn't know where the rocks were in that lake. I was either run across the top of the water on that lake or fight him off with that rod and boy he started flogging me and <laughs> pete 
she picked the camera and he started videoing it. I, I mean, he just beat me all over that lake bank. That Picking thing. and biting. And so those were just funny things that happened. But uh, we got that and, oh, it's just funny things. The trolling motor jumping off the boat. Hilarious. And uh, those things. I watched, I watched all those with my kids. I watched those with my dad. I just thought they were the funniest thing ever. Well, we had, uh, we've had a lot of, Ladies, parents, women tell us it's been the best babysitter they ever had because they just take it, put it in the, put it in the VCR, and the kids just lay there on a pillow and watch it. Yeah, and they go on and cook dinner and come back and look, and kids are just still laying there on. You know, then we came with a three hours, a three hour one. Wow, and uh, that one really is a good babysitter. I bet it is. So I bet it, it is. It's been, it, it's been a been a good thing no it didn't didn't bother me it's just things that happen if, if you if you can't laugh at yourself you're missing the best material absolutely, that's absolutely. what they say so what about the what about the tea hat <laughs> the tea cap goes back to uh i grew up with the majors oh uh, really uh, johnny majors uh-huh. and larry and bill majors over in lynchburg that's where they're from mm-hmm. shirley majors was a coach of the lynchburg raiders he coached them four and a half years and they were undefeated before they moved over to huntland and then John became coach at Sewanee and then, uh, not John, but Shirley, John's daddy. And, uh, but I've stayed close to John. He's over at Knoxville now, but, uh, even when he was with Tennessee, but I love Tennessee. I love the football program. Of course, we were working our way back. Yeah. We we're climbing out of where we, we, we've, we've, we've of had, dark years. Yeah, I know we've had some. <laughs> Some slow years, but we're coming back. It'll come back. Uh, we, I, I we, we, we're too good at we're too good at university not to come back. We, we'll be back. Uh, so when did you decide that was going to be your your iconic look? Well, I got a call from uh, one of the recruiters over there, and uh, the one of the coaches, and it was a young recruit, a young player that loved to fish, and one of the coaches over there said, "See if." Uh, does Bill know this player? Randy Sanders was one of the coaches, and uh, they were trying to recruit Randy Sanders. And I said, I'll call him. So I called him, and I was telling him how great fishing was. I said, we've got 26 great major lakes in Tennessee. We've got the world record smallmouth. We've got the world record walleye. I said, oh, man, we've got beautiful streams. We've got this and that. And come to Tennessee and play football for Tennessee. Said, boy, I'd love to take you fishing. And uh we hyped in. Every time Randy could go, I couldn't go. And when Randy could go, I couldn't go. And so I was hyping it. And Doug Dickey sent me my sent me a tea cap. And I, I wore it. And as soon as I got I won a tournament. Ah. And then I won another tournament. <laughs> and so then it became a trademark. And I've worn, I've worn this hat ever since. Uh-huh. And then Doug became, uh, he left Tennessee and went down to Florida, became ad down there and then he came back to tennessee and became ad mm-hmm. but i got a call from him right before he left tennessee and wanted me to come walk with him out in midfield and at a homecoming game and i couldn't because i had a promotion and it was very disappointing that i couldn't make that make that homecoming game with with him but doug dickey i got those tea caps from doug dickey and i've worn them ever since mm-hmm. and we go through a lot of tea caps but, did that player come to tennessee and play uh yes who was it? Sanders. Sanders? Uh-huh. Be nice if it was Peyton Manning. Be, oh, that'd yeah. be a good story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's, uh, he, he came to Tennessee. He really did. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Randy Sanders, 
What about the saltwater show? Let's talk about the saltwater show. Well, that's your bag. Yeah. Your buddy helped me a lot with saltwater, uh, Tudor. But we had been doing saltwater, uh, excuse me, we'd been doing freshwater for a long time. And we got to a point where we just, you know, we looked at hunting. We started a hunting show way back yonder. We just didn't think it was going to pan out. So we just stuck with fishing, mm-hmm. uh, freshwater fishing. And then we got to a point where we'd just gone as far as we could go. And I said, you know what we ought to do? We ought to do a saltwater show. And so we formatted it similar to the way we did our freshwater show. Mm-hmm. And I went to a network, and I talked to the program director, and I told him what I had in mind. And he says, I like it. Let's do it. And so we went to the sponsors, which was a hard thing to do, as you well know. And I pitched it. They liked it. They said, okay, let's do it. So then I went and I started picking places and I figured I'd better start inshore Mm -hmm. because more people could relate to inshore. More people can afford to do inshore than same kind of equipment for the most part. Right. More so than offshore. And they could relate to that because a lot of inshore is a lot like bass fishing to, to a degree. Tudor was one of the first guests. Yeah. And I did, I did quite a few shows with, with Rich. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he's very knowledgeable, and that's what I wanted. And I asked him lots of questions. We did permit shows. We did shark shows. We did, uh, we did a Grand Slam show. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yep, I do. We did. We caught bonefish. In fact, we did beyond a Grand Slam. We caught redfish. We caught bonefish. We caught tarpon. And we caught uh, permit. Yeah. We caught four different species in one show. Uh, <laughs> well, Rich told me about all of that, and uh, one of the things that one of the things about Rich and all, over the years of fishing with him and fishing in the tournaments and fishing just on the day to day deal, he's pretty he's pretty high strung, and he's got a, oh, he a, a, a re- remarkable amount of energy. Oh, he for, does. He does. I mean, he just he'll fish everybody into the dirt. And the camera guys are dying. They haven't eaten lunch. And he's like, well, let's start another show. And it's 630 in the afternoon. And we got that one. Let's start another one. And they're like, man, you're killing us. You're absolutely killing us. And, you know, I try to stay in really good shape. I have a hard time keeping up with him as far as as he He wants to go and go and go. So he calls me up and he says, man, so how did it go? He said, I can't keep up with Bill Dance. He's got the most energy I've ever seen in my life. He said, he, we've, we did this show. We got this, we caught a permit, a tarpon and a bonefish. And then we catch a redfish. And then he wants to keep fishing till dark. I mean, what else could we possibly catch? And, and, I, and I got to say, what do you mean? he said, he does. And he goes, well, what do you want to do now? I said, well, we need to do, are you kidding me? Yeah. I said, no. And he said, that rain's going to get us. I said, well, now it looks like it's moving south. No, I think it's moving straight at us. I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready. You I had said, him. Come on. You, Rich, you fished can... him into the ground, and he was ready to come home. And I don't know anybody, anyone that has been able to do that. So how do you how do you keep up this amazing amount of energy that you have? I don't know. It's just <laughs> the determination of just wanting to get the best I can possibly get. Yeah? To deliver the best quality that we can possibly deliver. I think. You know, that was a good shot, and that was a good jump, and that was a good thing. But maybe the next one's going to be just a little bit better. I don't know. Yeah. I'm there, and 
I don't know, we push real hard to make it the best we can possibly make it. And we do it with good people. I don't know. We work real, real hard. The, well, you, do the it with, you do it with good people, but you also have a good team around you. You're, oh, you're, you could how, make it without a good team. How, I know. And I, I feel the same way. How long has your current team been together? Whoa. The people we've been working with, uh, I would say, how long have we been working together, Pete? How long? 33, 33 years. Yeah, Pete's been shooting with me 33 years. Timmy's been... <laughs> how long timmy in the back 25 25 <laughs> of course tony passed away this past year tony's been with me for what 40 we lost tony about it this past year for how long 45 tony been with me for then 45. you got family working with you and then uh billy of course has been with me for 30 years and he does all, a lot of a lot of our social stuff our facebook and then Don has been with me, does all our bookkeeping and Well that says a lot about about you as a as a leader. How do you manage to to keep that team together like that? We just everybody knows what their responsibilities are and everybody does it. Everybody's got their own little niche and I don't even have to be here. They know <laughs> what to do and uh they do it. And they take a lot of pride in what they do. Uh you know, you're only as good as the people that work for you and so we're like a chain. Sometimes I'm the first link on that chain. Sometimes I'm the middle part of that chain. And sometimes I'm the last link in that chain. But everybody just pulls together. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what it takes. But everybody just kind of knows what to do. And we just, we, we just, we work together to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So we do 39 original shows a year. And that's a lot. Yeah. That's fresh and saltwater, right? That's fresh and saltwater. 26 fresh and 13. And we, we air 52 weeks a year. So it's, it's, uh, and then Carlton handles our sponsor relations right. work. Been working know. with Carlton for a long time too. Oh right? yeah, yeah. So we've got—I don't know—every year we just we've got good sponsors. We've had some sponsors, Outboard Motor sponsor. We've had for ooh, forty-five years. Yeah. Like our retail sponsor, we've had ooh, going on thirty years. Well, that retail sponsor is none other than Bass Pro Shops, right? And you have a you have a a really good relationship with Johnny Morris. Yeah, Johnny and I have been buddies for 45 years. And so you saw that that business develop oh, yeah. from nothing, right? I mean, from... Well, I remember when Johnny used to talk about he wanted to get into the retail business. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he'd talk about, he'd dream about. And I, I've watched his dreams. Uh, he'd talk about things he wanted to do. And I've watched those dreams become reality. And he's just got an amazing ability to think things and make things happen. Mm -hmm. And it's just, he'd look at something and he'd say, I remember the, the gigantic pyramid in Memphis. Mm -hmm. We walked into that pyramid uh, 13 years ago, and it was a dirt floor. Mm. And we'd just come off the Mississippi River catfishing. And uh, it was a cold day. And we were standing there, and he looked down at the floor, and he looked way up at the top of the pyramid. It was just you know, a vacant type thing. And he said, Bill, we're going to do this deal. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, we could put a big cypress tree over here, 80-foot cypress tree, and we can put some cypress trees here, and he can make a cypress tree. You'll, yeah, they, you, they, they look looks, exactly like it. They look identical to a cypress identical. tree. You, you'll stand beside it, and somebody will bet you that's, that's, that's a real tree. 
and it, it looks identical to a tree. Mm -hmm. And it, we'll put some 80-foot trees here, some 60-foot trees here, and we'll, we'll put the river, we'll put part of the river through here, and we'll put native fish, gar, alligator gar, crappie, bass that are native to the river uh, here. And then we'll put a freestanding elevator right here, 325 feet. All the way to the top. And you're just watching all of this just happen in his head yeah, right yeah, there. He and, just and goes just, and he concepts and he says, the whole thing. And we can put an aquarium up in the top of the pyramid and we can put catfish there. You can get them out of the river, can't you? I said, yeah. And and we'll put them here. And he said, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. And he'll just start shaking and he'll hold, he'll, he'll start, he'll get hold of you and he'll start and shaking you. And he'll say, I'm getting excited. Boy, when he says that, and he says, and it, and and we can take and then he'll we can do this can't we and I said yep we can do it you, yeah Johnny anything you believe you can do it and he says and 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 then we then and then we can do this and we can do that when you look and you walk in that place it will blow your mind away mm -hmm. at what he's done do you see says, it do you see it that he's been able to has that original has that original uh, vision that he had. It's there. It's it's there. It what what Dead he on. said when we're standing on that dirt floor, <clears throat> everything it just the few things that he mentioned, they're there. Yeah, they're they're there now. There's 150 pound alligator gar swimming right through there. There's bass there. There's there's gar there. I mean, there's a crappie there. There's those native to the Mississippi River. They're there, and that free flowing water that comes right through there. Uh, those cypress trees are there. Well, he's a he's certainly the a guy. There, there's 115 rooms there. Yeah, that place is incredible, and he's a he's a guy just like you said. Like you're you're going on a film shoot, it's always the next one. It's always the next one. It's not good enough. Let's keep polishing, keep polishing. I mean, you go to his stores and every little detail, the handle of the door, and every little thing that you look around. There's details on every little thing, and he's he's definitely I've seen polishing. Him walk in, I've seen him walk in a room and he look and he says. A storage area needs to be six inches wider. I said, well, we've already put, I don't care, take it out. It needs to be six inches wider. Just <laughs> <laughs> take it all out. He, he, he wants it this way, that way. He, it, it's got to be. Well, it works. Gotta, it works. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. It and he's works. the same Johnny Mars today as he was 45 years ago. Very humble. Very appreciative. And, uh, and he's been able to build that from starting out in his uh, dad's a closet in his dad's store is that is that accurate yeah i remember i remember he called me uh he said uh, he called me one night and he said hey daddy gave me the back of the store and i said and his daddy had a chain of uh of spirit stores liquor stores and he said daddy gave me the back of the store and i said he did he said yeah i'm gonna have a grand opening in about uh a few weeks will you come up for my grand opening and i said well absolutely just let me know well he called me and he said it's going to be a week from Saturday. Will you be here? I said, I'll be there. And so I flew up Friday, spent the night with him, and we got up that Saturday morning and went trout fishing. And I caught a big, big rainbow, and uh biggest one I'd ever caught. And we drove to the store, and I'll never forget it over there on Kearney. As we drove up, the police were directing traffic on that corner, uh -huh. and it was a Brown Derby liquor store. And up on this big post pole was a marquee, and it said, Jack Daniels, half gallons, 1895. <laughs> Jim Bean, half gallons, 
1495. Welcome, Bill Dan. <laughs> and I thought, buddy, I made the big time. My name's up there with Jack Daniels. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't get over it. I went in that store. And if you go to Bass Pro in Springfield, uh -huh. he's got replicas of that, you know, a little, he's got pictures of all that. But uh, I remember going in that store and he had a little bitty aquarium. You ought to see the aquariums over there now. Oh, I know. Oh, they're, oh, goodness. 100 to 300 gallon aquarium, but bigger than that. But he had a little old box aquarium. And he put crappie in there and bass in there, and the bass ate all the crappie. But he, <laughs> he had the little box aquarium, and but he had spinner baits, old Virgil Ward spinner baits, and people were buying. I was accustomed to selling one or two spinner baits. People were buying the whole card, a dozen <laughs> spinner baits at a time. This this was a big time deal. Yeah. And his daddy, I remember the story. Johnny had rods in a in a barrel. And they were really classy-looking rods. I mean, the cosmetics on the rod, mm -hmm. I mean, the wraps were good. The the guides were good. The the handles, the, the rods were really nice-looking rods. And he had them priced at uh, $24.95. Hmm. And John A., his daddy, he picked that rod up, and he went, Ooh, John, Johnny, this is a nice-looking rod, $24.95. And Johnny said, yes, sir. And John A. looked at Johnny and he says, you selling this rod for $24.95? And he said, yes, sir. He said, I just don't understand how you can sell a rod like this, this nice for $24.95. How much did this rod cost you? And uh, Johnny looked at him. No, I'm telling this wrong. <laughs> he says, how much does this rod cost? He said, you selling this rod for $19.95? And he said, yes, sir. He says, you mean to tell me you can sell a rod, this quality rod, for nineteen ninety five? Johnny said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "Son, I just don't understand how you can sell a rod like this for twenty for nineteen ninety five. And Johnny said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Well, how much does a rod like this cost you?" And he said, twenty four ninety five. He said, "This rod costs you twenty four ninety five, son, and you're selling it for nineteen ninety five." And uh, he said, "Yes, sir." He said. You'll never make it in this business, boy. You'll never make it in this business. His daddy, of course, being John A. being in the liquor business, you know, he said, Daddy, you just don't understand. It's it's a leader. It's a leader. Hmm. These people will buy all these rods, but they'll buy a reel to go with it, and they'll buy a line to go on the reel, and they'll buy baits to go with it. And he says, I don't understand that. He said, I know you don't. But he says. Probably not many people did back then. I mean, that was that was contrary, right? I mean, no, there, there were leaders, you know. But he, he, he's had a vision of how he does that and takes care of his customers and he, and he brings people into the sport and then they in, they in turn buy thousands and thousands of dollars in boats and motors well, you and know, everything that, else. Merchants don't do it a lot of that today, but I remember back in those early days, that, remember I was telling you about Fabulous Surplus City? Yeah. They did a lot of that and they sold a lot of merchandise. And we, we do so much impulse buying today and they do a lot of leader stuff. They did a lot of leader stuff back then, you know. Yeah. Anything to get you in the store. Huh. All right. So I want to ask a couple more questions. You pointed at that bait right there when we first came in here. You said that that supercharged your career. He kickstarted my let me, career. Let me see what it is. And, and This old bait? Yeah. I've told this story before. Um, as I told you one time, the only place you could buy fishing tackle 
back when I was growing up, we didn't have Bass Pro Shops and we didn't have Walmarts and Academies and mm-hmm. uh, Cabela's. The only place you could buy fishing tackle was a hardware store. Right. Well, growing up in Lynchburg, Tennessee, there was one place that sold fishing tackle, and that was Connor Motlow's. And Connor Motlow had a hardware store. Mm-hmm. Well, Connor Motlow's brother, Reger, ran the distillery, Jack Daniels Distillery. And these are the Motlow's. <laughs> Lim Motlow was uh-huh. the proprietor of Jack Daniels Distillery. And his brother had the bank. And But anyway, I'd go by that hardware store all the time. And old Clayton Tosh was a manager of that hardware store. And I'd run in there and I says, I looked in that, through that glass case and I says, Tosh, let me see that bait. And he had Arbogast baits and this was an Arbogast bait. And he'd pull those Hawaiian wigglers out. <laughs> yeah, I remember and that. And he'd, pu- he'd, he'd pull this exact bait out. I mean, the bait just like it, old frog colored jitterbug. And I'd look at that bait and I said, how much is that bait, Tosh? He said, Billy, my grandmother called me Billy, says the same price today as it was yesterday, the day before, last week, and the week before, 75 cents. I think it's, and I said, hmm, I bet he'll catch a bass. He said, he'll catch a bass. And I'd take it out, and I'd just look at it, and I says, hmm, a jitterbug. Boy, 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 that's the prettiest bait I believe I've ever seen. Mm. There. Let me look at it one more time. <laughs> boy, can I run short to my grandmother? He said, yeah, bring it back. I, I run short. And I said, grandmother, ain't that the prettiest bait you ever saw? She said, what is that thing? I said, <laughs> they call it a jitterbug. See, it's written right there. My, my. I said, it ain't but 75 cents. Is that right? Yeah, 75 cents. I got to take it back. Tosh told me to bring it back. Just 75 cents. Mm. I'm going to take it back. Just 75 cents. <laughs> I took it back. Well, finally, I talk about it. And I said, I'm going down at the hardware store and look at that bait. <laughs> and she says she had a handkerchief. She undid her handkerchief. And she reached in that handkerchief. She took three quarters. She said, here. She said, when you go, give Tosh that three quarters and get you that bait. Man, I'll tell you one thing. I went like I was, like a, I mean, you couldn't, <laughs> I was flying. I ran in and I bought that bait. Uh-huh. But I, we went, everybody in, in town had closed up on every Wednesday, the, the square, everybody on the square had closed up. You know, uh-huh. and everybody do different things, but town would close up on Wednesday half a day. Well, we went, we didn't go to the creek that day. Granddad and grandmother and I, we went to Cumberland Springs Lake. It was up the road about seven, eight miles. And grandmother would spread a, would spread a quilt under the shade tree, and she'd take two or three double colas and put them on a stringer and just pitch them out there. There was a little spring that came in down by that tree, and she'd just fish him around in that spring. And Granddaddy would take his rods, old Langley mm-hmm. and Shakespeare reels, and he'd throw them out, and he'd fish for red ears with with, with worms. Mm-hmm. He had a worm bed there in the backyard, or in the, in the back. And I took a bait casting rod. that It was a metal rod. In fact, it's in my office. And it had braided line on it and a section of cat gut that we call monofilament today. And I went down on right 
probably from here to the road out there. And I got on that point and I, I did maybe two or three false casts and loosened the tension up on that little Shakespeare reel and that little true temper metal rod. And I looked to my right. And when I did, I saw two bass swimming along. If I had that, that book, I'd show you a picture of it. It's up there in my, my office. But anyway, uh, and, uh, I looked and I saw a bass about two pounds mm -hmm. and I saw another bass about a pound swimming along. And I went, look a yonder. And I made my heart started beating like this. And I said, I'm going to make a cast. And I, I went through about four or five fa false casts and I went, Doom, I threw and I made a pretty good cast. The bait landed about 20 feet from the fish. Uh -huh. That was a pretty good cast. <laughs> <laughs> but, and the bait hit the water. I'd always remembered my granddad being a doctor. had always talked to me about, taught me a lot about anatomy, like wading the creeks, walking on rocks and, you know, on the gravel. Creeks were clear and the rock bed creeks and limestone bluffs and stuff and walking on those rocks, how well fish could hear and sight mm -hmm. and uh, a lot about the anatomy, which helped me a lot through the years. And so anyway, so anyway. Look at that. Uh, here, here, oh, here, wow. here, here was that old rod. That's the same lure I used when I was a kid. Right that's here, the double Shan spinner. Yeah, it's that old Shannon twin spin. But here's that old rod, an old braided line. There's one just like this in my dad's uh, something similar. I don't know if it's exactly the same rod, a metal rod like this. Yeah. Heavy, man. Yeah, it's heavy. But. And and a couple of these reels, too. Yeah. You throw it and it goes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it sounds like a cat getting ready to fight. But so anyway, I made the cast. And but when the bait hit, what impressed me, both bass stopped. Well, that told me those fish heard that bait. And I remember what my granddad taught me. He said, I said, sound. They heard that bait, they heard that bait hit. And it went bloop when it hit. Well, I went, blah, 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 blah. I started reeling the bait. Mm -hmm. Well, both fish turned in the direction of the bait. And I said, they heard that bait. And I went, blah, 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 blah. well, both fish turned and started moving toward the bait. And he said, the bigger fish would be more aggressive. Well, it led the pack. It mm -hmm. was ahead of the smaller fish. Well, they swam within about half the distance to the bait and I stopped the bait and they stopped. And I said, so I started the bait and they started. I stopped the bait. They'd stop. I start the bait. They'd start. I'd stop. They'd stop. I'd start. They'd start. Well, finally I kind of got a little closer and they were within two feet of the bait. And I know now they were in visual, con in visual contact of the bait. They could mm -hmm. see the bait as I started the bait up. The two-pounder just went and just blew into the bait. You could see the bait. And when he did, you know, I pulled back with this this great piece of <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> you see it? Yeah. Well, it's got some good backbone. Yeah. It ought to. It's steel. But uh, and I started winding. And, and I wound about four or five times like this, and the fish jumped. And I wound a little bit more, and he jumped again. And I got so excited, I just threw the rod over my head. And I grabbed hold of this braided line, and I just started well roping him, oink, 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 oink. and uh, I just pulled him right up on that point. Uh -huh. Of course, I could see it all because the water was so clear because it was a spring-fed lake, Cumberland Springs. And when I got him up on the bank, I just pulled him up on the bank, and uh, then he was flopping. 
I was just reeled the line up as fast as I could, and I just took off running. <laughs> and I ran to, to where my grandmother and granddaddy were, and I held him up. I showed him the fish, and here's the fish. Look at that. That's awesome. And that's and there's the jitterbug yeah, there's right the jitter. there. I don't know if you can see it or not. but That's but amazing. Check out those U.S. kids' shoes. I know. Those are popular today. My daughter wears those. Uh, they, they the con- high top converse they call yeah. them now they're pretty much the same deal yeah that uh that bait was made in night in 1934 mm-hmm. surprisingly it's still made today works in fact we did a show on it last year did you uh-huh but uh that's cool but the thing is that what you can learn but it really kick-started my career you know learning about your first sponsorship uh-huh. that was your first sponsorship well, your grandmother, uh, yeah, she gave you the seventy-five right. cents. Yeah, she gave me the she gave me the uh, seventy-five cents to buy that bait. Yeah, yeah. Well, you turned that seventy-five cents uh, into into something a little bit bigger. Well, I mean, what what impressed me though uh, that I tricked a a living creature into hitting a piece of plastic that had a piece of metal on it, and I ran. I showed that to Tosh, and he said, "Well, I knew you loved that bait." And I said, "I really did." And, of course, grandmother was real happy, and she was, well, the 75 cents worked. It sure did. Well, what do you it. think the, the crate of all the, the stuff that you've seen being creative? I mean, bass fishing over the years has had some pretty wacky ideas. Well, I've what do you think I, the craziest idea? Oh, I've seen some crazy things. I've seen people come out with ideas that they thought were great, mm-hmm. but I've seen things go to market that people really, really believed in. Deep down in their heart, they really thought they were going to make a, a fortune on it mm-hmm. that just didn't go anywhere. Right. But I've seen other things that have hit the market that have done exceptionally well. I've seen back when this whole thing started, I looked and I said, this can't get any better. And five years later, I said, boy, look here. Right. And then 10 years passed and I, I looked and I said, my goodness, look where it's going. And then 15 years, then 20 years. And I look at the uh, marine industry, our engines today, yeah, our four-stroke engines. It's amazing. Incredible. Uh, I look at our boats, how comfortable they are, how, how they take us places, but they bring us back home safely. The construction of our boats. Mm-hmm. I look at our, our trolling motors. Uh, but the one thing that has really impressed me is our electronics. Mm. It's amazing what our electronics do. And there's features now in our electronics that, uh, without being commercialized, going into being real commercial, but it's almost like live video. We have things now that we can we can see things. We can see things move. We can throw a bait. We can see our bait running. We can see fish hit our baits. Uh, we can pinpoint key irregular features. We can see cover. We can see fish on that cover. We can throw to that cover. We can catch those fish on that cover. We can see four fish on that cover. We can throw and catch that fish, and we can look back and see three fish on that cover. We can throw back and catch that fish and see two fish on that cover, catch all four of them, and there's no fish on that cover. Right. Electronics have really impressed me how far we've advanced in our electronics. I look at uh, our lines that go on our reels, Mm -hmm. how sensitive they are, how strong they are, our drag systems on our reels. Our sensitivity, our, the weight of our rods, how powerful they are, how sensitive they are. It's just the, everything that's come along, uh, the, uh, how far advanced we, we have moved in, in every single thing that we have. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it going in the next 50? 
<sighs> I don't know. <laughs> you, if you'd ask, hey, hey, if you'd asked me that uh, f- five years ago, I wouldn't. I, I couldn't. I, I I would never have dreamed that I could lower my trolling motor and point my trolling motor right out there and see a drop off and see fish on it and be able to throw at those fish and, and actually catch them mm-hmm. and see them and know how far they are out in front of me. Mm-hmm. But I have I have the capabilities of doing that now, or being able to pull up. 30 feet deep and say, Ooh, look right there and drop straight down and drop shot and catch fish directly under the boat. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I could do that, uh, 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 10 years ago. Right. I didn't think that I could pick up a fishing rod that would weigh less than three ounces and catch a 30 pound fish on it. Mm-hmm. But I can, Yep. I've seen you do it. <laughs> I have, I, I, yeah. I've seen rich do it. Yep. I've, I've seen you and rich do it to take a, to take a, a lightweight rod that weighs practically nothing. And just lightweight line and catch tremendously big fish. Where we think, used to think you needed right forty pound test line and a big heavy stiff. No, we see 30, that we see that especially line. especially in something like tarpon fishing or or marlin fishing or sailfish. You know where the sailfish rig used to be huge. Yeah. Now it's it looks like that. I mean, seriously, oh, yeah, it looks you're right. about like that. You're right. And um, do you think that more people or less people are involved in fishing these days? I see it. I look at the data. Let me tell you what the way I see it. The way I see it. I see it surge one year, and I see it a little bit slow, and then I see it surge again. I see it a little bit slow. I look at hunting. Hunting is an expensive sport. It's very expensive. And I hear hunters say, I just can't afford it. And they're picking up fishing again. Mm. And it's harder and harder to find a place to hunt. Mm -hmm. Because I look at it right here. In, in the Mid-South, where I live, I know a lot of duck hunters. Unless you've got a lot of money, duck hunting is an expensive sport. It's a seasonal sport. you got three months of the year, all right? Your equipment, your dog, and unless you belong to a club, mm-hmm. it's hard to find a place. Even right here on the Mississippi River, you know, everything has to be just perfect. Right. Fishing, you can fish 12 months of the year. With interstate travel the way it is, there's more and more availability. Right. And I hear a lot of people say, I'd rather spend my time fishing. Yeah. Uh, I can fish 12 months of the year. I'd rather spend my allotted time fishing as I had. The, I've got X amount of time. I've got X amount of dollars. And I would rather spend that fishing. Yeah. A as lot I of had, people. As I had uh, three months of the year spending that same amount of money hunting. Yeah, certainly a lot of people <clears throat> do that. I, I, I saw for a while that it looked like the young people were abandoning the sport or not being introduced to the sport. I guess not abandoning it. They were never introduced to the sport. But now I see this resurgence of these young young kids getting involved, and it seems like it's more popular than ever for the young kids. And you see it on YouTube, and there's hundreds, thousands of these YouTube channels where they're kids pond hopping and catching bass and brim, peacock bass, and all the South Florida things. It seems like it's more popular. Leslie, who does our social media stuff, she said that she has sees a surge in uh, an age group of uh, 25 to 40. That age group is getting into fishing big yeah. time. Yeah. And well, that's good. That's good. All right. So before we wrap this up, I want to know if you could give your 25-year-old self some advice, what might that be? If I could give myself advice? When you were 25. You step back in time and you meet 25-year-old Bill Dance, what would you tell him? Ooh. 
I love you. But you give you like you get some crazy toughest answers. Yeah. If I was twenty five years old, what would I do? Now, what would you tell yourself with all your experience that you've gained right now, knowing what you know now, you step back in time, you see Bill Dance at twenty five years old, what would you tell him? Oof. I don't know what I'd tell me. I'd have to think about it. I think I would change knowing I'd have to go forward and then and then come back. I think there'd be a lot of things I would change. I, a lot of things I wouldn't do that I did. What are you grinning for? <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I never know what's, I never I know, know what's I know, getting ready to come out. You got people probably looking and saying, what would I be doing? What would I do? You know, life's been good to me. Life's been real good to me. I was able to do what I wanted to do to change a hobby into a profession. And it's, it hadn't all been peaches and cream. It's been, I've, I've hit some uh, big rocks. It hadn't been all gravel. I've hit some big rocks along the way. I've stumped my toes, but I, I would have made some changes along the way. You know, I wish I hadn't have done this or I wish I hadn't have done that, but it's just my, there had been some changes. I wish I had invested in that stock, yeah. <laughs> a, 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 you know, a little bit stronger, mm -hmm. but those were just things that, but overall, I've been pretty much content. I married the girl I, that I wanted to marry. The children that are married, I mean, uh, Diane and I've had, they by and large have been, we hadn't had any major problems with them. Mm -hmm. They've all served their time in prison. And they, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they've, they, we hadn't had any trouble with them. Uh -huh. They've gotten an education. They've done well. She's been proud of them. I don't know. I, well, that's a want. If, that's... I, if I had to give it up tomorrow, I'd, I'd be fairly pleased with, uh, with, with, with my life. Well, I think that's a life well lived. If you can look I think back, that's and, a good. I think it's just a good definition. I, I, I'm pretty much pleased with the life well lived. Yeah. Well, you got no regrets. I mean, uh, somebody that that man. I wish I had. I wish I had just given it a try. I thought I could make that happen, and and I wish I could have just given it a try. You know, you you can always you can always wish, but uh, you know, you can always wish it was better, but it could always been worse. But the point is, is that. I think people with a lot of regrets are people that thought they could make something happen, but then they didn't actually ever give it a try. And then they get, then, then 40 years later, they're thinking, man, I wish I had done that, you know, and you don't have any of that. That's, that's a life, any. that's I, a life I, well lived. I, I think I, I've had a life well lived. I, yeah. I really believe that because I've got a, I've got a good wife. She's, she, she sacrificed a lot and she's uh, got a good business. I've got good people that I work with that work with me and I work with them. Oh, you could always say, I wish I'd have made a, a $10 million more, but I don't want to be selfish about it. I've, 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 I've had a good life. I have been witness to your life on the sidelines watching from TV. My dad and I used to watch your show when I grew up. And used to, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I still watch it. I watch, I watch your show with my kids, but, I just want to honor you and thank you for sitting down with us no, today. thank you, Tom. And I just want to tell you that I have tremendous respect for you. Well, thank you, buddy. Tremendous respect. And thank one you, of the buddy. reasons why I have tremendous respect for you is because from the moment I first met you, as someone coming into your industry, a potential threat, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm giving myself way too much credit there, but you, no. you, you look and you see people coming in and you were never... Anything but unbelievably welcoming, 
unbelievably helpful Thank and you. encouraging. Thank you. And you don't have to be that way, but a lot of people aren't that way. And I'd like to honor you for that and thank you for that. And then just also um, just thank you for, for what you've done for our industry. It's, it's well, thank amazing. You. Thank and you. Uh, you have brought so many people into this sport and helped them along the way and helped so much of this industry innovate. Thank you. Like you wouldn't have the innovations in the outboard motors if there wasn't the opportunity to sell those outboard motors. So you created a model, not only for you to make money and to continue to do what you like to do, but for all of this stuff that's surrounding us, uh, a, an opportunity to sell it, an opportunity for a company like Bass Pro Shops to get started and move on, an opportunity for Walmart, an opportunity for all of these different things. You created that, and uh, I've been fortunate enough just to just to kind of be strolling along in the in the shadow. You paved the road, and, and we're just thank walking you, along behind it. But I want to thank you. Thank you, And uh, I, I value you as a friend and a mentor. Well, thank you're you. You're a good buddy of mine. You and Rich are two of my favorites and always have been. Well, thank, thank you, you, partner. You. I appreciate right, it and honored to do this with you. Thank you, partner. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you got something out of that. Got just a little bit of news. We have started a weekly show that is designed to be up-to-the-minute videos of what's happening this week, mostly in the Florida Keys, but also in other places that we fish as well. We'll be putting that out every week, and the best way to find that is to subscribe to the YouTube channel, YouTube slash Saltwater Experience. Search Saltwater Experience on YouTube, subscribe to that channel, and you will get updates of when a new video is published. I've also figured out how to put the podcast on YouTube, finally. A lot of people like to put that window behind other things they're working on and listen to the podcast while they are working. So we now have that for you. And there is a playlist called podcast. There's a playlist called weekly show. You can go and see all the new videos that we're putting up there. Started a new email address specifically for this show. And that is podcast at saltwaterexperience.com podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Those emails come directly to me. I'll see every single one of them. So if you have comments, suggestions, ways we can make the show better, and particularly if you have suggestions of someone you would like to see me sit down with in the hunting world, in the fishing world, in the outdoor sports world, or just a motivation, inspirational character, or someone that can teach us all something. I'm very interested in your suggestions. So that's podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. You can get the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and we're also publishing it on the blog. The weekly show will be published on the blog too, but the best way is to go to YouTube, subscribe there, and you'll get it immediately when it's published. So until next week, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.